0: All right, good morning. I, I love it when a church says good morning right off the bat because it means they were awake before the sermon started at least, and so that's a good sign. So I'm, I'm really glad to be here this morning to be with you guys. Um, as Matt said, my name is Warren Etheridge. I get the, the privilege and honor of being your BSM director at Texas Christian University right across the street, um, literally right across the street, um, and that is a huge honor for us. And I realize... That most of you guys have never met me before, and you have not seen me before. Um, so, I, I really want to introduce myself real quickly. Um, my name is Warren Etheridge. Uh, my wife and I both grew up in early Texas. Um, is, just a show of hands, anyone know where early Texas is? Oh my word, okay. Some of you might be family or something like that, okay. Um, but uh, we grew up in early Texas, uh, came to, did my undergraduate work at Tarleton State University in Stephenville, Texas. And it was about—I actually went as a pre-med degree, got a degree in biomedical science because I wanted to be an optometrist, wanted to be an eye doctor um, like my father before me. And so I went to Tarleton because I was going to save some money um, because med school is expensive. And so I went to Tarleton, and it was about spring of my junior year. And I felt the Lord say, hey, I don't want you to do this anymore. And then all of a sudden, science and the pursuit of being a doctor— And all these other things, all these things that I'd I'd wanted to be since I was about three years old, the want and the desire for all those things ceased. It was very strange. And I always like to preface it. I always like to tell people my grades weren't bad. It wasn't like, oh, this, the Lord has situationally said no. No, it wasn't like that at all or anything like that. Um there just wasn't a want and need for that. And so um, Sarah and I had been, we dated in high school, so we'd been dating a while and we're talking about getting married as soon as we graduated. And so we started talking about, um, do you think maybe the Lord is asking something different of our family? Um, And it turns out he was. And if you're keeping track, spring semester of your junior year is about two semesters too late to change your degree and graduate on time. And so I had to get this degree. I've got this degree in biomedical science. and I like to whip it out to science people and be like, well, yes, I have a degree in biomedical science. I'm a pre-med major. But really, the only reason I use that is for trivia. And so I get to serve as your BSM director across the street. Um, Long story short, God called me to serve and work with the BSM at Tarleton for about four years. My wife and I are praying, Said so we've been trained in how to do this. Um, is there somewhere else that God is wanting us to implement the things that we've learned? Um, and we ended up right here in Fort Worth in your very back, own backyard. We moved the very beginning of July, and actually about three or four weeks ago, we actually started the process of joining this church. And so we just thank you guys for welcoming us, welcoming us and loving us well um, and loving students across the street. Um, now, because I have a microphone... I get to tell you a little bit about what's happening at the BSM, okay? So I'm going to give you kind of a 30-second update before we kind of jump into what we're studying this morning. Um, but ultimately, the BSM, we, we serve as an extension of the local church onto the college campus, and so that's what we get to be. Um, so we get to be a, a representation of all of the local area Baptist churches onto campus and where we want to love God, serve campus, reach the world. And what we tell our students and what we teach our students is that if you study the Bible, it's very obvious um, that Jesus wants a relationship with you. I mean, that's what the entire Bible is about and kind of the continual time. We're actually going to talk about it in a second, um, about Jesus seeking us out and seeking to restore a relationship with us. And so we want to love God and give students opportunities and chances to grow in that relationship um, by doing Bible studies, one-on-one discipleship, training them in how to do evangelism, discipleship, and missions. And not only training them in how to do those three things, but training them in how to train others so we can see a movement happen and give all 10,000 students at TCU a chance to respond to the gospel of Christ and who he is and so we get to train students and we want to help them grow in that relationship and love God more but as they study the word it just becomes obvious that Jesus served the people around him okay the Bible says that the the son of man came not to be served but to serve and so we want to serve campus well serve there's out of the seven billion people in the world I tell this to college students all the time out of the 7 billion people in the world, the Lord has put you in a three-square-mile radius with 10,000 other people. And if you do the statistics, that's a pretty large percentage that those people are someone that you need, to, you need to interact with and you need to work with. And so as we grow in our relationship with God, we love God more, we want to serve the people around, we want to serve campus. But the mission of God from Abraham on to the New Testament and the Gospels and the the coming of Jesus that we celebrate here at Advent season. Um, The Lord wants to reach the world. He has a heart for the nations. We just came out of November in the missions emphasis month, which um, your staff and your church did a fantastic job of that, but it should be on all of our hearts and minds that God has a heart for the nations. And so as we do those things and as we reach TCU students with the gospel we want to equip them and send them out into the world and so what does it look like for five years down the road or two years down the road or exfil you know whatever time frame you want to say what's it look like to lift our eyes and see horn frogs sent to the ends of the earth and so that's my job it's a really cool job Okay, so we get, to, we get to interact with college students. We get to teach them the gospel. We get to lead some into a new relationship with Christ that have questioned it beforehand. Um, TCU across the street, as you guys know, is a, an amazing campus. We've got some TCU students that sit here with us on Sunday mornings. Um, there is an amazing opportunity in a mission field to reach the nations. Sometimes the literal nations have come to us as far as international students. Other times we've got students that have come from all around Texas. Uh, I think it's actually 50% of all students at TCU are from Texas. Another 50 to 55%, depending on what semester you ask, are from out of state. And so very, very um, real missions opportunity to share the gospel with people that have never heard it before. And so thank you for allowing us to be your extension um, onto the college campus and for letting me be a part of your college ministry as the BSM director. And there's a lot of things that we're celebrating. As we talk about evangelism, discipleship, and missions, some of those things have happened even this semester. So we've got two students um, who are serving uh, all across the world this Christmas break. We've got one that's actually working in Um, Haiti. We've got another one that's going to be working with South American people groups in New York City. So be praying for them. Um, We had two students come to know the Lord this semester. About three weeks ago, we had a a girl uh, accept Christ for the first time. And then the very next week, one of our students who we trained to share the gospel got to lead her friend to Christ the next week. And so there's a lot of exciting things happening. Um, And so kind of keep tuned for those updates and those news, exciting things happening. Um, If you want to, if you go to hornedfrogbsm.com and you go to support, there's a place to get our newsletters, and if you'd like to get those emails, I'm actually going to, depending on, my wife and I are expecting our first baby either this week or next week, and so depending on when that comes, there'll be one sent out this week or two weeks from now, okay? So um, I'm just wise enough to know that I'm naive in everything that I think, this side of having a baby in the house, and so But if you'd like to get those email updates, join that, and uh, we'll be sending out a Christmas update before the New Year's. So with that being said, we're going to be jumping into Luke 5 today. So if you want to turn there, we have a lot to to dive into. I got a text last night from uh, Pastor Jeremiah, kind of as Matt was saying, it's like, hey man, I'm really sick. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I may not be able to come. I'm going to try to test it out and see what happens. Do you have a sermon in your back pocket? I was like, well... Actually, because I'm the BSM director, and I do like life with a lot of different churches in the area, I actually do, just in case this ever happens. He's like, okay, I may need to call you on it. And so I got that text last night, and so we're going to be hanging out in Luke 5, 1 through 11. I know it's not the normal Advent season uh, text, but uh, we're going to dive into it and have a lot of fun, okay? So let me pray for us, and we're just going to jump right into it, okay? Lord, thank you so much just for the things that you are doing and, and the people around us. God, as December is already upon us, Lord, this, this season of Advent, as we look forward to the celebration of your coming into this earth, God, help us to remember what a blessing it is for you to extend the hand of grace to us. Us who are broken and sinful people, um, whose very imperfection stands against everything that the kingdom of heaven stands for, but yet, yeah, Lord, you're the one that came down to us. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and worship you and to study your word. And I just pray that as we speak and as we, as we read your text this morning, just that the focus would be on you and you alone in that. Because of it, we would be changed as we leave this place and we'd impact the people around us. And so, God, you are good, and we just pray all these things in your name. Amen. So if you are new to church, or you're new to the Bible, um, the Bible's really divided into two parts. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament um, being the collection of books um, that kind of focus on God as creating the world and establishing a promise with his people, Israel, and said, Israel, if you will, and this is the Warren translation, okay, Israel, if you will, above all else, keep me as God and not worship other idols, then I will be your God and you will be my people and so Israel says, okay, and they do exactly that. They, tra- they in, in many different ways, shapes, and forms, um, pursue other idols, whether it's an actual physical idol that they worshipped, or their priorities got so skewed, where, they, where God had told them to keep certain priorities as far as, like, um, do not marry outside of your people group, do not... Um, eat certain foods. Israel in their kind of fear and not fully trusting God did those things over and over. And the whole Old Testament is Israel, God's people, running away from their creator and God stepping in and pursuing them and calling them back. And you see that over and over and over again. And as you get to the New Testament, you get the Gospels, which is the coming of Jesus that we just celebrate, the Son of God, and that's that ultimate restoration, that ultimate pursuit of God's people. And instead of just Israel with the coming of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that invitation to be a part of God's family is extended to all nations, um, including us sitting in this room today. And then after the Gospels, you have the rest of the New Testament, which is basically God's people saying, look, this is how the Son of God came to earth and lived. This is how we apply and how we act on what he said. Okay, so if you're new to the Bible, we're actually going to be hanging out in Luke, which is one of the Gospels, one of the the books that told the story of Jesus. And we're going to be hanging out in chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Okay, and so... The way I kind of like to do things is I like to kind of read a chunk of Scripture. Okay, so we're going to read 1 through 11 all at one time, and then we're going to come and kind of look at the different things that's talked about in those, okay? So let's dive into it. Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Okay, if there's ever a big word in the Bible, you just say it quickly and confidently and move on, okay? So he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and then they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw these things, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Something that we as people um, that were kind of grew up in the South, um, we have a tendency to do, especially if you kind of were raised in church and raised kind of around religious settings at all, is sometimes you can take the Bible um, and you can read it and totally miss some of the powerful things that Jesus says because we've grown up with them. And so one of the things you have to do is you put yourself in this situation and, and wonder, if I heard this for the first time, would this make a big difference to me, okay? We, sometimes I think we read the, the Bible too carelessly, okay? Well, the reason, I, the way I say it to college students is, you know, you've got the Hunger Games and you've got the Bible, okay? And the Hunger Games, great trilogy. Both make great movies. Both are fantastic books, okay? They're, they've made multiple number one bestsellers, okay? The Bible, the Hunger Games. But one is supposed to shape your life and one is provided for entertainment, Um, But yet, sometimes we will read the Bible in the same way that we read The Hunger Games and other books like that. We read it for entertainment um, and not try to shape our lives around it. So one of the questions we have to ask when we approach the living Word of God is when we encounter something, are we letting it shape our life or are we trying to shape it by our life? Okay? And that's a simple English change of the sentence as far as where the the adjective and the verb are and what's acting on what. Um, But it's a huge paradigm implication for how we view our lives and how we do life. Okay? So, let's let it shape our life this morning. So Jesus' ministry had just started this is, at this point. He had done a couple miracles in the book of Luke already. We'd already seen um, Jesus casting out a demon uh, in the chapter 4. He's been preaching in the synagogue. He's actually healed people, and these are all just in chapter 4. I'm looking right before this in chapter 5. Um, Jesus already just started his ministry, but this is the first calling of his disciples, okay? And so it, you can kind of notice that Jesus has already amassed a small following. And the reason I say that is in the first couple of verses in chapter 5, it says the people were pressing in on him, and so he got into a boat. And I don't know if you're a teacher. My wife is an English teacher at a high school, and so I don't know if your students are so captivated by what you're saying that they just want to press into you to learn more. Um, But I bet none of us had ever been like, okay, look, I need to put a physical barrier um, between you and I. And so you just kind of stepped into a puddle of water and said, hey, don't. Touched the puddle, right? But that's what Jesus did. Their people were pressing in on him so closely that he needed to back up a little bit more. And so, seeing an empty boat, he got into it um, and rowed out a little bit from shore and started teaching the people there. And you can see that Jesus loves the people, right? Because when it got really uncomfortable, Jesus just adapted. Teaching the people were some of his highest priorities. So he loved these people so much that he just moved back a little bit, kind of changed his circumstances so that people could still hear him without kind of being encroaching on his space, right? So Jesus' ministry had just started, but he already had a following. Um, And moving to verse 4 and 5, he gets into Simon Peter's boat. And I wonder, and I'm just speculating here, but I wonder if he realized that this fishing boat doesn't have any fish in it. Do we have any fishermen in the audience? Okay, no, not a single one. I really am. One, I've got one guy in the back, way to go. Um, I realize I'm I'm in the city now, okay? So for those of you that know where early Texas is at, it is a very small town USA, okay? Um, Our saving grace is that we're right next to Brownwood, Texas, which has about 30,000 people on it, but early by itself has about 2,200, okay? And my parents and my grandparents owned a ranch right outside of early, uh, about 30 minutes away, called Mullen, Texas, and I'm not even going to ask if you know where Mullen, Texas is because you probably don't. If you, if you do, there really is like a 90% chance that you and I are related, and I, I don't want to approach that bridge, okay? Um, but so we used to go out and have this kind of ranch out there, and there's a couple of things that we called tanks. Um, they were just man-made bodies of water. They were great for the cattle to, to drink out of and stuff like that. Um, but we'd always go fishing. Um, at those tanks and I remember it was kind of a rite of passage when I turned about 11 years old um, all these tanks were about a mile away from the house and so we had a four-wheeler we could run out there and I'll never forget when I turned 11 years old my grandfather was like you know Warren I think it's okay if you go by yourself you take a tackle box you take a fishing pole and you go and you can fish um, and just let me know Uh, just come back in about an hour and a half can you do that I was like freedom like This is it. This is the moment. I'm a man now. He's letting me go by myself. I'm going to fish. I'm going to catch my own food. It's going to be awesome. Um, and I've got tons of fishing stories that you'd be like, Warren, you're not a fisherman. You are, you are a sad excuse for a fisherman. Um, and I'm just going to tell you that first chance, it was really deflating. I didn't catch a single thing. Okay, um, But a lot of us, a lot of fishermen, they always talk about the fish, and it got, gets bigger as they talked about it, right? But you'll, never, you'll always notice that no fisherman ever tells a story where he didn't catch a fish, right? One, because maybe the sinful part of us, we need to be able to say, yes, I caught a fish, and so we don't tell the stories where we didn't. Um, but the other part of that is because the definition of a fisherman is one who catches fish, right? But all of a sudden we have these fishermen that haven't caught anything. So Jesus steps onto their boat, um, and it's about to change their lives forever, Okay, so reading in verse 4, he says, And when he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So, interesting thing. Jesus steps onto a fisherman's boat, and he tells the fisherman what to do. Now, was Jesus a fisherman? No. We know from the the other gospel accounts that Jesus was a carpenter, um, but more than anything, he was becoming this teacher, this rabbi. And so this rabbi gets onto a fisherman's boat and tells the fisherman what to do. Now, if someone did that to you, how would you respond? Okay. This man just got onto my boat and told me exactly what I need to do. Now, he's got a following of people, so he's authoritative on something. so people are drawn to him. Um, But what is, like, he just came in and told me what to do with my job. And I think Simon Peter responds the same way that I would um, if someone came and told me how to fish. Simon answered in verse 5, Master, we told all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And so he justifies his lack of fish. Okay, it's like, look, we toiled all night. You didn't just come in here. Like it's 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 okay. Like we don't have any fish. I'm still a good fisherman. We toiled all night. They're just not biting today. But since you're here, since you asked me to, I'll go ahead and let down the nets. Okay, Um, Peter justifies to the creator of fish that he doesn't have any fish, but he did try. Now, does he know he's the creator of fish? No. But Peter's in the presence. Simon Peter's in the presence of the very creator of everything. And what happens in in verse six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So, Jesus, creator of all things, creator of fish, has a man telling him that the fish aren't biting. Um, And this isn't... I'd say that this is a, a, my back pocket sermon. This is the one I kind of whip out if, if someone needs it last minute. What I'm about to say is not part of that. Um, but as I studied last night and this morning, it just kept coming up. So maybe there's someone that needs to hear this and we're not actually gonna talk about it anymore after this point, which I know is a weird thing for a minister to say from stage. Um, but is there something in our life that Jesus is the master of, but we think we know a little bit more than he does about it? Like I said, it has nothing to do with the rest of our sermon. But is there something in our life that we need to let Jesus be the master of? So Peter justifies his lack of fish, but does what Jesus says anyway. And then all of a sudden we have this amazing picture of so many fish being loaded into the boat that begin to sink. And all of a sudden, this master fisherman, this guy who fishes for a living, who's been doing it for a long time, and even his father has been a fisherman. We find out from one of the other gospels that this is John's, or excuse me, this is Peter's father's boat. Okay? So even his father is a fisherman. All of a sudden we have a fisherman Who's been fishing his whole life experienced something he's never experienced before, and it makes him fear. It leads him to fear. And he says, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He knows automatically that he's in the presence of greatness, he knows that he's in the presence of something that is not normal. Okay? But what does Jesus say? In response to that fear, the first thing he says is, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Sometimes in other translation we hear, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the, that's the verse we put on coffee cups all the time, right? But my favorite verse is the next one. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus extends this invitation, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um, it was an invitation not just to be fishers of men, but to be something, to be a part of something much, much, much greater. And this is a very interesting invitation, and for a lot of different reasons, okay? Um, For one, this invitation to be a part of Jesus' group, um, to be a a disciple is what we'll know them as later, um, was very countercultural for the time, okay? So Jesus is is becoming a rabbi. He's becoming a teacher with authority over certain things, but that was completely countercultural for the Jewish kind of time point that this is in history. So really what disciples usually, the process of a discipleship was more of a tiered system in the Jewish Um, I guess, culture at the time, okay? So what would happen is in the ages of four to five, everyone would study um, the Torah, the the first five books of the Bible, and they would become experts of it. In fact, so much so that most people would have the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized by the time they were five or six. That's why when Jesus quoted scripture, um, kind of quoted the prophets and quoted the Old Testament, everyone in the audience knew what he was talking about. Okay, And I realized that us as Americans, we were like, man, memorizing stuff's really hard. They had four- and five-year-old Jewish kids were doing this and memorizing the whole book of the Bible. And they didn't have it to take home and study, right? So we're getting to step up our game. I'm talking to myself the most, okay? So, But they'd have the whole first five books of the Bible memorized. And the best of the best of the students got to move up the ladder to this next cream of the crop, okay? And, and if you didn't make it past this first tier of education— um, you got to go and be a tradesmith or like an apprentice for somebody else. So you had carpenters, fishermen, um, things of that nature. Sometimes it was what your father had done, what your family, the trade that your family had done. Sometimes it was a different one. But if you didn't make it past that first system, you got to go and be an apprentice somewhere else. But then the next group started studying um, the minor prophets and they started understanding what a text meant and how to apply it. And so it was this second age group. And again, the cream of the crop got to move on to another tier, um, and everyone else went to go study the trades of their father. And then the best of that group got to go one more and start understanding interpretations of that scripture. They got to start um, looking for a teacher to follow, um, and they were learning even more. And so this is the third tier, and once again, the best of the best of the best got to go and find a rabbi to follow. And everybody else went to, the, to study the trade of their father's. And then the best of the best of the best of the best, okay, I think that's the, enough best ofs, got to go and find a rabbi to teach. And it wasn't just, the word that the, the Jewish, I'm about to butcher this, okay, so pardon me, but the, the word that they called them, not the word that we translated as disciples was talimidim. Okay, like I said, I probably butchered that, and you can tell me later. Um, but it was this word that not only meant a student, where, like, as, even across the street, students sit in a lecture and they learn information. A Talmudim or a disciple wanted to encompass the very, like, become who that person, who that teacher was. They saw their life as worth emulating and changing everything about their nature to look more like that person than even themselves. Okay? So, the best of the best of the best of the best got to find an amazing teacher that they wanted to encompass the very nature of and become like those people because they didn't have the internet, they didn't have a lot of textual books and things like that. Um, The only way for someone's teaching to survive was to pass it on to their disciples and to see that spread. And so if you wanted your teaching to survive, you picked really good disciples who were good at what they did so that after you died, you could take it to the ends of the earth, right? And we say the ends of the earth because that's what Jesus said, but they could take it to the ends of the earth. But if you'll notice... Jesus' invitation to Simon Peter is completely opposite. Um, for one, it wasn't the students that were looking for a teacher to follow. It was the teacher looking for students. And then not only was it the teacher looking for students, it was the teacher that was not looking for the best students. All right? Simon Peter was a fisherman, right? Which means he flunked out of this VBS type, this VBS thing. I call them VBS dropouts. But like, he, he flunked out of this BBS tier system at, at least some point, right? He had already been, he'd done the trade of his fathers. He was a fisherman. And so Jesus sought someone that was not yet qualified to take his message to the ends of the earth after he died. Simon Peter was not qualified, but yet that's who Jesus ran to. And we'll see that play out over time. Um, But in verse Let's see, what verse is this? 10, he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. He invited him to something greater. Um, but in order to follow him, he, they had to leave their old lives behind. Jesus wasn't asking Simon Peter to come with him to be a fisherman on his journey. Jesus was inviting Peter to become a disciple of him as he went. And really what he was doing was he was inviting him to be a part of something so big that, it would conti- that we'd sit about it and talk about it on a Sunday morning in 2018. 2,000 years later. Um, I had a mentor uh, kind of when I started working in BSM and in ministry in general. Um, and he had all these small sayings like, for one, um, we're, <laughs> my favorite is, we're like turtles on a fence post. Someone had to help us get there. We didn't get there on our own, which is true. Okay, think about it. It'll hit you on the way home. Um, but another one of his was just that really Jesus had just invited um, the disciples on a three-year camping trip. They traveled from place to place. Um, Jesus taught in in several different locations throughout his ministry. Um, But really, they didn't have anything with them except the clothes on their back. And my wife and I, um, we, and I'm going to say this, and you just need to know that we're not pros, okay? Um, My wife and I really enjoy backpacking, okay? We've got the gear. We actually look like pros, but we really just do one- or two-day trips here and there. We've we've never had a great, like, week where we could just take three or four days um, and go into the woods with only the things on our back and come out. But professional backpackers that really know what they're doing know that every ounce counts, okay? Every ounce counts. In fact, they will pack down their stuff, and they'll kind of plan their whole trip around water, water destinations so that they don't have to carry that much water. Every ounce counts. And you know why? It's because if you have too much weight, that trip is miserable. You can't walk very far. Been there, done that, got the backache. It was, it was awful, Okay? but every ounce counts. Now, if Jesus invited these, these disciples on a three-year camping trip, okay, in our terms, um, how difficult would it be if the disciples took their boat with them? Okay, if Simon Peter's like, hey, look, uh, you invited me to this thing, but I think I need to carry my boat with them. Okay, and the reason I ask that Simon's, who would later be called Peter, so I keep interchangeably calling him Simon and Peter, Simon's livelihood, Simon's support, Simon's comfort was wrapped up in this boat. That's who, how he was going to provide for his family. Okay? His father had done it before him. He was going to do it for probably the rest of his life. That was how he was going to provide for his family. It was in this boat. That was his safety blanket. Okay, But yet if... At Jesus' invitation, Simon had taken that boat with him and it had slowed him way down, right? It had been awful. They'd get, to, they'd get to Galilee and be like, well, where are the fishermen? Oh, they're still carrying their boat. They're about two towns over, right? It'd be this constant catch-up, catch-up. And, and that may be kind of funny to say in this context, but how many of us, when Jesus invites us to something greater, when Jesus asks us to do something, we, we hold on to our safety blankets. Now, Simon and Peter could have said, yes, I will follow you with my boat, but is that really a yes, or is that a yes with conditions? And so for a lot of us, I think the Lord has invited us to be a part of something greater um, than our normal, everyday, average lives. And we, some of us say, no, I, that's a little scary for me. There's, there's some risk associated with that. And some of us give the half-hearted answer of, yes, but I've got some requirements. Like, I need to have this with me. This is my support. This is what I can fall back to. Um, But there's very few of us that say, yes, Lord, wherever you lead, I will go. And I say that for you to chew on later and to ask. And this is something I ask college students all the time. What is the last thing that the Lord asks you to do that you haven't done yet? Because for Simon Peter, it was this invitation to leave his nets behind, leave his boat behind and follow, follow him. And that's why I love that last verse, verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. They left their boats, they left their nets, they left their support system, they left their economic um, way of survival, they left their, their their families behind because the Lord had invited them to something greater. And when the Lord calls, the only appropriate answer is yes. Not yes but, not no, just yes. And so for us, what is the boat that we need to leave behind? As St. Peter's whole trust and faith was wrapped up in this boat, Man, what are the things that we have put our faith in that aren't Jesus, that aren't the Lord? But even if you look at it, and we we get the the amazing perspective of looking back on this as history that's already happened, and we even have it right here in the Bible, Um, and so we, we know the end of the story, right? Jesus picked an unqualified person to be his disciple and to rename And Jesus continues to choose to do those things. And this isn't just the first time when Jesus chooses Simon Peter to be a part of what he is doing. It's not the first time that God has looked down on people and chosen someone that was not equipped to do what he was asking him to do do it. Asking him to do what he wanted him to do, to do it. Sorry, that's a weird sentence. Let's just look at Peter first, okay? Peter has numerous troubles, and I love talking about the disciples because it makes me feel better about myself, okay? Um, Peter and the disciples have tons of brickhead moments, okay, tons of them. Um, a lot of insert foot into mouth moments, which, hey, I am so guilty of that, it just, like I say, it just makes me feel better about it, okay? So even the one that specifically comes to mind for Peter, um, Peter in Matthew 16, there's this beautiful moment um, where if you kind of put yourself into the story, it's Jesus sitting around um, I like to picture it kind of a, an intimate setting. Um, they're talking about who the people say that Jesus is, and Jesus asked them, who do the people say that I am? And his disciples are like, well, some say that you're a great teacher. Some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're a great prophet from the Old Testament, reincarnated. That's how awesome that people think that you are. Like, people, people have all sorts of things. They think, some of you think that you're John the Baptist, different things like that. He says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question that makes it personal, right? Like, that's what all these people say, but you, you've seen intimately my life. Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter says that you are the Son of God. And it's this beautiful moment where Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Peter, for the Lord has revealed this to you. You could not have known this from your own understanding. I am the Son of God. And the reason I use Matthew and not one of the other Gospels is in the very next paragraph... So that's Matthew 16, very next paragraph in Matthew 16, 22. Peter takes Jesus to the side after Jesus says that um, the temple will be torn down and resurrected in three days. And he, he kind of compares himself to the temple. And you get that, the first glimpse of Jesus foreshadowing his death and resurrection. And Peter, who just earlier in the paragraph before, said that you are the Son of God. Jesus takes the Son of God over and says, look, Jesus, I don't know if you should say those things. In fact, it says that he rebukes Jesus. It means he got on to Jesus. So the very man that he just said, you are the son of God, he comes over another paragraph later and says, hey, don't do that, son of God. Like, I don't think that's a good idea. As if he knows better than the son of God, right? And we've done the same with our lives. Um, And thankfully, Jesus is is gracious with us and merciful with us. Um, But um, Peter sticks his foot in his mouth all the time. This very Jesus who taught, hey, turn the other cheek. Um, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Um, when the guards come to arrest Jesus, to take him to the cross, who pulls out a sword and slices off um, the servant's ear? Peter, okay? Jesus' whole message was, hey, be gracious to those who persecute you. As soon as someone persecuted, Peter was like, no, take it, and he like, took him, okay? Peter continually messes up in the sight of the Lord. Um, but that's who Jesus chose, Peter, the same one who denied Jesus three times while he was dying on the cross, Peter is the one he chose. And here's the beautiful thing for you and for me um, who stands up here as a really broken individual um, and I'm very aware of it. And I think most of you in this room understand that too. Um, The Lord doesn't need us but yet he steps down and he invites us to be a part of what he is doing. In Experiencing God by Claude King, excuse me, yeah, Claude King and Henry Blackaby. There's a chapter, and I'm going to summarize it. Um, But he says, look to see where God is moving and run to be a part of it. The Lord's moving around us, and he extends an invitation for broken people who he doesn't really need because um, God created all things. Jesus created all things. And so like, there's this, this moment when Jesus invites us to be a part of something, not needing us, not needing us to, to make his plan successful, um, but yet he steps out of his way, um, comes down, lives a perfect life, dies, um, cruci- is crucified, is resurrected, so that we can be a part of something he doesn't need us for. And that is a God that loves us very much. And I always explain it that, you know, we can't as humans quite fathom fully unconditional love because every, even every kind of basic love that we have is tied to some kind of condition. Alright? And I was laughing, the Binds have been married for over 70 years. That's incredible. My wife leaned over and was like, I don't know if I can be married to you for 70 years. I don't know if that's... And so, pray for us. Okay? We're having a baby. Okay? Uh, but... I love my wife very, very much. And I would even want to say that it's unconditional, but there are things that Sarah does that could frustrate me. And I ask her permission, so don't get nervous for me right now, okay? I ask permission to say this. There are some things that frustrate me that Sarah does. There are some things that I do that drive my wife bonkers, bonkers, okay? Um, for one, getting up too early in the morning. I'm just a morning person. She's not, it drives her, it drives her nuts. Um, but there are certain things that I could do that could harm her love for me. There are certain things that she could do that could harm my love for her. And if she is the person I love more than anything else in the world, um, how much more so a love that's not needed from us at all. That unfathomable, unconditional love that Jesus has for us, that he invites us to be a part of what he's doing because he wants us to be a part of the blessing of being a part of what he's doing, and he doesn't even need us. So in the invitation to come and be a fisher of men... Jesus stoops down and invites Peter to be a part of what he's doing, to be a part of something that's so big that we talk about it 2,000 years later, and he doesn't even need him. Um, And ultimately, to save us from a death that we do deserve. Romans 6.23 talks about, for the wages of sin is death. Um, What we deserve, what we earn because of our imperfection um, is a death, is an eternal separation. But... um, the free gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, because of Jesus' sacrifice, death and resurrection, we get to be a part of the family of God, something we don't deserve, something we don't earn. Guys, and it starts with the coming of Jesus this December. If you look at Peter, and even though he had all these faults, God did some incredible things through him. 1 Corinthians talks about that the Lord uses the weak to shame the strong. I mean, that's the story of Peter. It's the story of you and me as well. Um, You had Pentecost where Peter leads this revival where 3,000 people or more come to know um, and be a part of the family of God for the first time. He's the establishment of the the body of believers. because of what Peter was doing and, and the people that became believers from Pentecost and, and kind of the on-ramp and the, the movement that happened because of that, um, like I said earlier, we find ourselves in this room because of some of the things that Peter did in the first 100 years A.D. And so God continues to do amazing thing through them. And even in his invitation for Peter to be fishers of men, he is still fulfilling that invitation even to this day. There are people in um, countries around the world, some of the most highly persecuted countries, um, have this unexplicable growth of people coming to know the Lord, and they even have trouble keeping up with the number because it's growing so quickly and also because it's so underground that people, there's people coming to know the Lord left and right, and we can't even keep track of it because it's so big. Jesus fulfills his promise of you will be a fisher of men. I think of students that I've gotten to disciple, um, and one student came to know the Lord at the, the college I was at previously. Um, he went home, and it was Easter. He'd been following the Lord really consistently for about a year. He went home, and he sat down with his grandparents, his grandparents who were in their 70s. And he said, Grandpa, Grandma, why is Easter the only time that you go to church? And through that conversation, he got to lead his grandparents to the Lord. And so the, the impacts we have, the, the fishers, the fish excuse me, the men that we get to catch instead of fish, um, we get to see a ripple effect. And kind of the, the story of who Jesus is, we don't want to just throw a rock into a lake or a tank, okay, since we were talking about fishing earlier. We don't want to throw a rock into a tank and watch the ripple effects happen and see them fade out. Guys, the story of the gospel, the story of who Jesus is, is not just rock. It's a chlorine tablet that we launch into a lake of a sinful and lost world. And we see the ripple effects ride out and a movement happen. But not just that. We see a chlorine tablet change the very essence of what that place is. It's when Jesus, in in the Lord's Prayer, he sits down and he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as in heaven, God's kingdom, God's perfect kingdom, heaven, come to earth. What's it look like for the people around us, the world around us to look more like heaven than a sinful and broken world? That's why I do live on a, on a college campus. I think college students, because of the, the generation, and I'm, these college students know this, um, especially the ones that hang out with me, 18 to 23, 24, 25, 26, depending on how long it takes to get that degree, okay? 18 to 23 is when we set the biggest patterns of our life. And so what's it look like to intervene in these moments and say this is what it looks like to live a life and to make patterns that help our consistency with the Lord? What are the ripple effects when uh, a man, before he even enters into a family, um, knows how to lead that family because he's, he's following the Lord closely? What's it look like for God to invite some of our college students to be a part of a missional movement all across the world, anywhere from Mission Arlington to South Asia, the ripple effects that can happen, the chlorine tablets thrown across the, the, the tank that is the, the world. It's an invitation to be a part of something greater. It's an invitation to be a part of what God's doing. There's a man, and we'll kind of wrap it up with this. There was a man um, who, his nation, got taken under captivity. And so it was kind of a desperate time for this nation. Um, they had been kind of militarily sought after for a long time, um, and finally they just kind of succumbed. It was over. And this nation would go to these, these nations that they conquered, and to assimilate that nation into their culture, they would take some of the officials' kids and would make them a part of the king's court. And they'd take them for three years, and they'd teach them, excuse me, they'd teach them all about their country, um, all about the rites and rituals, they'd eat the food that they ate. But there was this one man that said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. That wouldn't up- uphold kind of what God wants me to do. Um, and so in grace, he kind of asked the, the king's servant um, to give him some extra time. And said, will you let me do this? And you can come back and assess whether or not this works out or not. Now, that man's name is Daniel. We read his whole book in the Old Testament. And I don't know if any of you have ever done the 10-day diet. They don't exist because they don't work. But Daniel did a 10-day diet, and there was such a significant change um, that the eunuch that was over him, the, the, the official that was over him, um, said, hey, you can continue to do You are so different from the rest of them. You can continue to do that. And he had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is what they'd later be called, that followed him in that. It was a simple step of obedience that the Lord had kind of laid out for his people for a long time. Um, and under a captivity of a new country, like it had been really easy to put that to the side. Um, but yet... Daniel did not. Daniel said, I, I would really like to, in grace, try this. Um, and you can tell me what, what happens. So because of that, he got put into the king's court, and specifically with the wise men who were in charge of interpreting dreams and stuff like that. And so several years later, the king has a really weird dream. He wakes up in the night and is so freaked out that he calls all the wise men to interpret his dream, and it's kind of like a fortune teller that you, you can't, a good fortune teller you should never be able to throw a surprise party for, because that would be, you know, okay, it'll hit you on the way home. Okay. But he kind of has this moment where he's like, look, if you are really wise men and you can interpret dreams, he said, then you should be able to tell my dream before I tell it to you. Or I'll just tell you my dream and you'll tell me what you think it means. Um, And of course that's impossible. And so all of his wise men can't do it. He says, You guys are fakes, so I'm gonna put you to death. Um, And Daniel says, look, I I can't do it, but my God can. And because of that, he interprets this dream for this king. It's not even like a really soft interpretation. He essentially says, look, in your dream, God foretold that you're going to die and he's going to wipe out your kingdom. Um, and the king responded with, great, that, like that makes sense. You're going to be elevated in status in this kingdom. And so that happens two times, three times, excuse me. That happens three times in the course of history. Um, where he has a dream, he interprets it. Um, that king actually does die. Another king comes, has a similar situation where there's writing on a wall. Daniel tells him, look, you have defamed the God of all creation. I, he's going to wipe you out. That happens that night. The next king heard that the dot before. And so he says, I want that guy in my inner circle. And so all of a sudden you have this exile, this, this um, really, this enemy of the state Assimilated into the culture, and all of a sudden, he's one of three people over the whole nation. And one of those nations he was over was the, the wise men, the very group that he'd been a part of um, the time before. And he continued to grow in wisdom and stature, and people continued to give him more and more favor. Um, and you know Daniel from the Lion's Den. His obedience led to the obedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fires and saved. And because of that, uh, a king that personally um, blasphemed against God worshiped God over and over again, multiple times. But the beautiful thing about that, and the the reason I say that is there's an invitation to something greater. And so 600 years after those things happen, after the book of Daniel, the king of the Jews comes to earth. The king of the Jews is born in the backyard of the Jews, according and fulfilling the prophecies made in the sacred text of the Jews. Um, And you know who wasn't looking for it? The Jews. But who was? Were these three African wise men who show up with an entourage of people walking into the slums of Bethlehem, into a stable where animals were kept, um, and they laid down these expensive gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and other things. And there's a very good chance some historians believe that those wise men were only there because 600 years earlier, a man was put over them that was a Jew and taught how to look at the stars and see them fulfilling the, the Jewish prophecies of old. What will our obedience that Jesus invites us into, invites us into something greater, what will be the ripple effects of small steps of obedience today, tomorrow? So as I pray for us, there's three things we need to consider. What are the things that we need to step out and be obedient in? Um, Jesus is an extended an extended invitation to us to be a part of something greater. What do those invitations look like? The way I phrase it for those students that I said a while ago is, what is the last thing that God asked you to do that you haven't done yet? And then last but not least, What boat, what safety blanket do we need to leave behind so we can be effective for the Lord? So, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the life that you let us lead. God, for the things that you've done in us and around us. Um, Lord, you, you invite us into something greater. You invite us to be a part of your story that's been going on since the beginning of time. God, help us not to take that invitation for granted. Help us not to to put a yes and on the table, but only a yes. Lord, help us to be obedient to you in in everything that we do and help us to see the people around us in the same lens that you see them. God, in our words and our actions, may we be reflective of the son who came and was born into a stable and, and humility. The Lord of all creation, the son of God, was born in a manger in the most humble of circumstances. So Lord, help us to be reflective of that in our words and our actions. God, you are good, and we just pray all things to your name. Amen. <laughs>